0: Our passage this morning is from Paul's first letter to the Corinthians, chapter twelve, verses four to twenty six. So you'll we'll turn there in your Bibles. First Corinthians, chapter twelve, verses four to twenty six. Now there are varieties of gifts. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. This is the word of the Lord. Our passage this morning centers on a topic that is often discussed both here in Singapore and around the world. Diversity. For a time... Particularly toward the end of the 20th century, and as we headed into the 21st century, there was a sense that the world was growing smaller. Boundaries were increasingly becoming irrelevant as goods, people, services flowed around the world with increasing speed and ease. The explosion of the internet meant the world became connected in a way that it never had been before. In this world, the idea of diversity, of nations, of races, of religions, was celebrated, perhaps more than it ever has been in history. As more and more people came together, diversity came to symbolize the effort we make to understand and embrace those who are different from us but times have changed. More recently, barriers began to go up as people around the world began to question whether an increasingly global society was really good for them. The internet, long hailed as a technology meant to bring people together, became a tool of division, with people separated into intellectual factions As companies increasingly realized that telling us what we want to hear and getting us angry at those with whom we disagree is a profitable business model. And into that age came COVID-19 with all of its restrictions and stress and isolation, tensions, and xenophobia never completely gone anywhere, have become increasingly virulent and public. Even in a society as cosmopolitan as Singapore, even within the church, it becomes altogether too easy to divide ourselves over superficial issues and fail to love and celebrate one another. Perhaps, in this environment, people can be forgiven for not wanting to deal with the challenges that diversity offers them. The church at Corinth, the recipients of the letter we're reading this morning, had problems not entirely different from those that we face. Their church was diverse, but it was also divided. The society that they lived in was pluralistic, but it was also separated along lines of religion and social class and nationality, And to this struggling church, the Apostle Paul teaches a great truth. Diversity is not an adversary to be overcome or a burden to be borne. The diversity that God has created in his church of people, of gifts, of societies, is a joy. It's a reflection of his goodness and of his beauty As we might say in the world of technology, it's a feature, not a bug. In our passage this morning, we see three key truths about diversity. First, that diversity is ordained. It is ordained by God. Second, that diversity is difficult. And lastly, that diversity is beautiful. So let's start in 1 Corinthians 12 and in verse 4. Here, Paul makes clear to us that differences we see among ourselves are indeed ordained by God. In verses 4 to 7, he says that there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are varieties of service, but the same Lord. There are varieties of activities. But it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. And note carefully verse 7. No one is left out of God's plan. Verse 7 says, To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. There is no such thing as a Christian who does not have any spiritual gifts. And these gifts are not merely natural abilities. Verse 7 makes clear that these are manifestations of God, the Holy Spirit. So the variety we see in one another is grounded in unity. One God with one sovereign will choosing to use each one of us who follow Christ as his instruments. And after that, in verses 8 to 11, Paul lists many of the spiritual gifts that God gives. And we're not going to delve into each one specifically in this message, because even though they're important, each gift itself isn't really the thrust of Paul's argument. And this isn't a comprehensive list either. Here, Paul is just throwing out examples before in verse 11, you see he comes back to his main point and reiterates it. All these are empowered by one and the same spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. The gifts that you have are part of God's sovereign plan for your life, each one of us. And the variety doesn't stop with spiritual gifts. In verse 12, Paul uses the metaphor of the human body, and that's an image not only used here for the rest of chapter 12, but it's an image that Paul uses elsewhere. He uses it in Ephesians and in many other letters to, to give us an image of what God's church looks like. Paul reminds us that even though we're all different parts of that body, we make up one body. We all receive the Holy Spirit, and most importantly, the whole world is included. The gospel unites different peoples, different languages, different races, different classes. Again, our diversity remains grounded in unity. One God, one baptism, one people. But even though we can all understand that God has ordained this diversity within his church, that it's part of his plan, it's a feature, it's not a bug, we all know that diversity can be difficult. Diversity can divide. And in our fallen world, it often does. This isn't an idea unique to the times that we live in. In Paul's day, the most significant ethnic division in society was between Jews and Greeks. The the word there rendered Greek can also be translated Gentiles, Jews and non-Jews. Jews in the first century had a great deal of ethnic and moral and religious pride. They saw themselves as God's chosen special people and the rest of the world as decadent and unclean. Greeks, on the other hand, saw themselves as culturally sophisticated, intelligent, well-read, and the rest of the world as unwashed barbarians. In fact, in other parts of the New Testament, that distinction is actually given, Greeks and barbarians, because that is literally how Greeks thought of non-Greeks. In terms of social class, the main distinction in Paul's day was between slaves and freemen. Slavery in Roman times was not quite the same institution that most of us learned about from more recent times, but it was still a brutal institution, and it's one that Paul denounces elsewhere in the New Testament. But it can be easy for us to hear about these sorts of divisions in the ancient world and to try and distance ourselves from them. Rome is long gone. Thankfully, slavery is outlawed in most parts of the world. But if we dig a little bit deeper, I think we can see that these sorts of divisions persist and they always have in every society. How often have you or I looked down on someone because of something superficial? Even a brother and sister in Christ, how they look, how they talk, how cultured they seem to be or not be. I'm ashamed to remember the times that I dismissed someone in my own mind because they didn't fit my image of what a Christian ought to be like. Prejudices that have no basis in the Bible. We can even commit the uglier sin, a sin that was a real problem in Corinth, of deciding that some gifts, some acts of service, some abilities matter more to the church than others. That was a major issue for the Corinthians. They were overly focused on some spiritual gifts at the expense of others. And Paul mentions that issue in verse 21. If you look at verse 21, he says, The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. When we start to make these sorts of distinctions among ourselves, we're ignoring God's word telling us here that all Christians are gifted and that all gifts equally are manifestations of the Holy Spirit. If we're not careful, we start to treat people with more prominent roles like speaking, like teaching, as if they're more important than more quiet gifts like service and prayer. We need to guard against becoming the kind of hypocrites that Isaiah denounced when he wrote that these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me, teaching his doctrines, rules made by men. What rules made by men do you and I carry around in our own hearts even about our brothers and sisters in Christ. How many man-made distinctions do we create among ourselves? How easy is it for us to become worldly, to think the way the world does, that if you have a certain job, you're successful, but if you have a different job, you've failed? How easy is it for us to be no different than the society that we live in, even within the church, I find this to be a struggle. I love to teach the Bible, but I also long to be important. I long for other people to think that I'm a good Bible teacher. And without God's grace, I think that whatever abilities I may have make me better than other believers. As I've walked through this process of being a candidate elder here at our church, one of my greatest prayers is, Lord, please, please do not let me become arrogant because I know my own heart. Paul shows us what happens when we make those distinctions in verses 15 to 19. When we make those distinctions, some of us, maybe many of us, start to question our ability to belong and our ability to serve. What does he say? He says, For the body does not consist of one member but of many. If the foot should say, Because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. So when we have these biases, what we really do is we take those in our church that are gifted in important ways and we push them towards apathy, towards thinking that their gifts don't matter. In so many congregations, that sort of apathy drives an 80-20 rule. 80% of the ministry done by 20% of the church. That's a tragedy. Instead of looking to the living God, we look to ourselves. And when our gifts don't fit our own man-made image of what we consider important... Or what we consider special, we sit back, and we give up, and we stop. But Paul says no. He says no, God's ways are not man's ways. What we see as small and humble, God gives the greater honor. What we consider weaker, God considers indispensable. I can think of one example of this that's come up in my life again and again and again. Now, those of you who know me know that I could probably reasonably be described as a bit of an extrovert. A bit loud. Okay, I'm going to take that as validation. Uh, a bit loud. A bit friendly. and And if you looked at me... In a group, you might think that I'm the kind of person who really brings a group together, the guy who's trying to be the life of the party uh, all the time. But in my experience, in every group I've ever been in, every community group, every Bible study, every church, you would almost always be wrong. In every group I've ever been a part of in God's church, there's someone else that I would say is really the glue, the the person who really holds everybody together. And that person is almost always someone who doesn't talk very much. Usually someone who's relatively quiet. But they are someone who reaches out to people when no one's looking. They're someone who texts at just the right time. Someone who loves others in ways that don't put them in front of a congregation week after week. But those people are chosen by God for the greater honor. And I believe with all my heart that when I get to heaven, the people I will meet who have loved Jesus best, who have borne the most fruit in this world, will be ones that I've never heard of. Not famous, not important by worldly standards. So, if diversity then creates so many issues for us, then why did I give you our third heading? Why did I say diversity is beautiful? Well, first of all, I don't say it. God says it. So, let's take a look at Revelation. Chapter 5, verses 9 and 10. I'll give you a second to get there. Revelation, chapter 5 verses 9 and 10. In Revelation chapter 5, the Apostle John is having a vision of heaven. And we're not going to try and go into all of the details of the vision, but there's a key point that I want you to see. Chapter 5, verses 9 and 10. John is seeing a vision of Jesus and how beautiful and worthy Jesus is. And and he hears these words, said, to the Lord Jesus Christ. Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you, Jesus, were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation, and you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign On the earth. That, friends, is the ultimate vision of God's kingdom. Every tribe, every people, every nation, every gift, every personality, every person, part of the kingdom of the Lord Jesus, is a priest to our God and will reign on the earth. This beauty comes to us through the gospel of Jesus Christ. Diversity isn't difficult because diversity is bad. It's difficult because we're sinners. So the way that diversity becomes beautiful is when the love of Jesus overcomes our prejudices. And the way Paul tells that to the Corinthians is with one of the most poetic chapters in the entire Bible. If you've been to that many weddings, I'm pretty sure you've heard it. You can see it at the very beginning, at the very end, rather, of chapter 12. At the very end of 1 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul says, And I will show you a still more excellent way. Chapter 13. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels... Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. And continuing in verse 13, So now faith, hope, and love abide, these three. But the greatest of these is love. A passage many of us tend to associate with marriage was in its original context written to help a young church come together, to take their differences and to make them glorious, beautiful things that God has intended them to be. Friends, it is the love of God demonstrated to us in Jesus' life, death, and resurrection that wipes away all that divides us and makes our diversity beautiful. In Jesus, every one of us, every Christian, will one day join together in God's kingdom. But that also brings up another question, a fairly obvious one, which is, how do we do this right now? How do we live out the individual gifts and the unique background that God has given us? What does this love look like in our church right now? Well, first, and at the risk of sounding a bit like a sales pitch, I can state the obvious. By God's grace, our church is growing. We now have two services, and yes, that means that we have all of the needs that you think we do. So yes, if you are able, we need Sunday school teachers. We need help setting up and taking down. We need musicians for the worship team. We need more everything. But I'd also like to bring up a couple of less obvious ways of loving as well, ways that we've already discussed a bit this morning. Is there someone in your community group that you don't know really well? Reach out. Get to know them. There's a massive amount of isolation happening right now in Singapore. And even in the best of times, personal relationships take time. They take effort. Make that effort. Especially toward people that you wouldn't just automatically gravitate toward. You cannot know whether that friendly outreach that you do might, at that moment, just be God's grace to the recipient. Can you cook? Have people over for dinner? Can you eat? We can all eat. Go over and have a meal when you're invited. If you don't have the time, make the time. Now, a final way of loving each other can often be neglected, There are many people in our body who do so much already. Maybe you're that person. Maybe you're hearing me say all of this, and you're saying to yourself, look, I'm already doing all that, and I'm exhausted. What does this mean for me? Well, it means this. Sometimes the best way to love others is by letting others love you. How many people do we know who go, 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 and do, do, do for everyone else but themselves? If you struggle to let fellow Christians love you and serve you, then start. Ask God to help you to let go of your anxiety and, at the risk of being a bit too bold, your pride. The body has many Parts, and every part is here not only to serve but to be served friends these are just a few ideas there are many many more as we go forward as a church it's an exciting time god has blessed us he's blessed our fellowship and as we go forward let us love one another as jesus commanded us to do as Jesus taught, by loving one another, we show the world that we are his disciples. Every one of you in Christ is gifted and has something to offer to the church of God. When we do that, when we love one another together, we show the world a picture of heaven. We show the world a people that are all different, but all unified. One body, varied, struggling, but beautiful. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for our fellowship. We thank you that you have brought our church together and that you love us and that every one of us who know Jesus as our Savior, has been gifted by the Holy Spirit. We pray, Lord, that you would overcome every barrier, every hesitation, that you would enable each one of us to serve you according to the good gifts that you have given us, that we may love one another and shine your light into Singapore and around the world. In Jesus' name, amen.